Well, I, I hate to break up this hug fest, uh, and isn't it great that we can now <laughs> hug and um, greet each other in the ways that we haven't had the opportunity to in the past year plus. Uh, my name is, as, I, as you heard, is Eric Becker, and uh, I've had the privilege of being here before. The last time we were here, there were fewer of you in attendance, and you all had masks on, so I didn't know how beautiful you really are. <laughs> and you didn't know, well, yeah, you did know, because you saw this mug um, a few months ago, uh, but I was standing with my beautiful wife at that point, so you weren't even looking at me. Um, but it's, it's my privilege and joy to be here with you, and it, it is great to be feeling like we're getting back to what we used to do and be able to do, but I think there's a little bit of, uh, it's a mixed blessing for me, because there were some things about the COVID shutdown that I actually learned to experience and, and enjoy. And I don't want to give that up as we get rid of all the encumbrances that we were faced with then. You know, life is full of joy and sorrow co-mingled. And there is that in the COVID as well. But that's not my message today. So let me move on from there. Um, I'm really excited to be part of this series that uh, you're doing this summer, Empowered to Participate, kind of taking a stride through, a run through the book of Acts, and watch the early church live the message that Jesus had left them with. So um, I just want to, just before I pray for our time, I want to just review a little bit from last week. Um, leading up to this week, because I'm joining in in the middle of Acts chapter 11. But I know last week, uh, Pastor Joe talked about Peter's vision, uh, the sheet coming down, and the clean and unclean animals, and, and, and what happened as a result of that. So there was Peter's vision. There was Peter's word from God that he heard about that vision, that what God has made clean you must not call impure. And then there was Peter's observation from that as he talked with that Gentile party that came to ask him to go back with them. And as he talked to those Gentiles, as he saw the way the Holy Spirit fell on them in the same way that it had fallen on the early followers of Jesus, it was revealed to Peter that Jesus that God is for all people, all people, not just those whom we used to call the chosen people, but for all, clean and unclean, circumcised and uncircumcised, Jew and Gentile. Jesus preached a message of repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. No restrictions, no exclusions, no favoritism. So today we're going to finish out the chapter and, and see what happened when that was revealed to the early church. But before we do, let me pray for us. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you this day. Would you visit us 
with truth, with love, with mercy, with joy, that we might share with others the rest of this day. And Lord, I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to pick up um, in Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19, where we read this. Because of the persecution triggered by Stephen's death in Jerusalem, many of the believers were scattered. Some reached as far as the coast of Lebanon, the island of Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria, but they were still only preaching to the Jews. However, some of the believers from Cyprus and Cyrene who had come to Antioch in Syria preached to the non-Jews living there, proclaiming the message of salvation in the Lord Jesus. The mighty power of the Lord was with them as they ministered, and a large number of people believed and turned their hearts to the Lord. News of what was happening in Antioch reached the church of Jerusalem, so the apostles sent Barnabas to Antioch as their emissary. When he got there and witnessed for himself God's marvelous grace, he was enthused and overjoyed. He encouraged the believers to remain faithful and cling to the Lord with passionate hearts. Barnabas was a good man, full of the spirit of holiness, and he exuded a life of faith. Because of his ministry, even more crowds of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas then left for Tarsus to find Saul and bring him back to Antioch. And together, Saul and Barnabas ministered there for a full year, equipping the growing church and teaching the vast number of new converts. It was in Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. So, just let me summarize what has happened. The followers of the way have been scattered because of persecution, but they're still speaking only to Jews. And some of that scattering sent people as far as Antioch. Now, Antioch was about 300 miles from Jerusalem. So by sandaled feet, that's a long walk. It became the capital of Rome in the, in the province of Syria, and it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. And it was a very cosmopolitan city, Antioch was. It was the center of commerce, arts, everything. So in Antioch, those people that came that far was the first time they gathered directly and specifically a Greek-only crowd, proclaiming the good news of the gospel for all. Before this, all the Greeks and other Gentiles who had become followers of the way in the church era had become so almost by accident, by overhearing, by picking up the crumbs from the messages of Jesus and the early apostles. But now we see in Antioch, a direct, purposeful, intentional, invitational evangelism. And the Lord's hand was on them, large numbers turning to the Lord. The news traveled back to Jerusalem, 
And Jesus, where Jesus' brother James is the lead pastor at the time, and they sent Barnabas to check out the rumors that they had heard from Antioch to test the genuineness of the conversions that were taking place and to encourage them to remain true to the Lord. And then it says, and this is sort of stuck in almost parenthetically, but knew that Barnabas went to Tarsus looking for the recently transformed and converted Saul. He, we had seen Saul's early ministry earlier in the book of Acts, but then there's a period where he's not mentioned anymore. But he evidently had gone back to Tarsus to reflect and, and all of that. So Barnabas went there, found Saul, and encouraged him to come back, and they together spent a year discipling that melting pot of followers of the way in Antioch. And Antioch replaced Jerusalem at that point as the most important city for the early church and became the center of the early church's movement's missionary activity. And then, I love this verse, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So I want to park here to this morning and talk a little about that. So the word Christian translates loosely into Christ's people or little Christs. And that's what I've entitled this message, Little Christs. So I want to just make a couple of observations about that. And the first is that these followers of the way, these converts to, to the uh, teachings of Jesus, had been called the followers of the way up until this point. But it was the Romans who applied this phrase, Christian, to those people. They didn't claim it for themselves. They were just living life. But the Romans who were watching them live life called them Christians. Little Christs. Now, some commentators feel like that, that might not have been the accolade that they thought it was. The Romans might have thought this was a diminutive, almost derogatory term to apply to them, intended to be offensive. Like for those of us who grew up in the 70s, Jesus freaks, <laughs> you know. I mean, that, that wasn't a, a kind uh, name for us who began following him, or the God Squad. Uh, I was in a fraternity uh, before I became a follower of Jesus, and there were some guys in that fraternity that we called the God Squad. Some of you remember the TV show, The Mod Squad, right? Well, we called these folks the God Squad, and we didn't mean it as uh, a word of encouragement or affirmation to them. But one commentator I read said it this way. They, those followers of Jesus in Antioch, were sufficiently recognizable by their beliefs and their actions that were in keeping with their leader, Jesus. It was really like saying, they are loving like Jesus loved. And, and that 
Wouldn't you and I love to be known by that? We were, we're loving like Jesus loved? Well, I want to tell you, I've had the privilege of being in the presence of a little Christ over this past month or so. Um, I'm sorry. Um, her name is Peggy Larney. And I want to introduce you to Peggy through my reflections about her. My brother Peter um, has been hospital, had been hospitalized about three weeks ago for the third time in his life with complete liver and kidney failure. Um, he was released from the hospital and sent to a palliative care unit um, facility. Jenny and I went up to see Pete three weeks ago and his wife Sandy and a woman was there in the room when we arrived. She was, she's a retired, a retired RN. She was an ICU nurse. Her son was an acquaintance of my brother Peter. And she and her husband uh, hosted a yearly music festival they called Buffstock, based on Woodstock, but it was in Buffalo, so they called it Buffstock. And my brother's bands played at Buffstock. So that was the only way she knew Peter, through her son and through hosting him and other bands once a year. She didn't even know Peter's wife that well. So we're not even sure how she found out that my brother was in the hospital and now in a palliative care facility. But that day, as we watched her caring for my brother, advocating for him with the staff at the facility, explaining things to us, the medical terms that, that the doctors and nurses were using, she put them in layman's terms for us. And she assured us that she would keep us informed of Peter's progress and updates. And over the next three weeks, she was there almost every day. More than Sandy was, his wife, more than I was, his brother, because we couldn't get there. But she was there almost every day. And I, I'm a little, uh, uh, I'm, I'm a lot embarrassed to say this and, and a little ashamed to say this. But when I went up there, um, I, it was not my first thought, my first joy to go up there. The first time I went up there, we were on vacation. And, and I honestly, and by way of confession, didn't really want to interrupt my vacation to go up and see my brother. But I did at the urging of my wonderful wife and the Holy Spirit. And I had a three and a half hour drive to get my act together to be with him. And thankfully, the Lord met me in that car ride. And every time I got in those car rides to go up and see him over these last three weeks, it wasn't my first impulse. And I'm ashamed of that. But Peggy, who knew him less than all of us, she was there every day almost. And over that first day when we met her, we, we uh, Jenny and I took Peggy and her, um, Sandy, 
Pete's brother or Pete's wife, out to lunch. And we kind of asked her, why, why are you here? What, what, why, did you he- why are you here? Why did you come to visit? Only then did she say, the Holy Spirit told me to come. And he has told me to come whenever I can to be with your brother. Peggy Larney is now my new picture of a Christian. A little Christ. A person who loves how Jesus loves. And does so without wanting or needing to draw attention to herself. These days, though, uh, I'm not sure the label Christian is always meant as a compliment or an honor when other people apply it to Christians. In fact, in our culture and in our media, Christian is most often used as a derogatory term, and Christians are portrayed in the media as anything but loving. Because, unfortunately, many of us are anything but loving. We're judgmental, mean-spirited, condescending, elitist. We're critical where we should be curious. We say things like, how could you believe blah, blah, blah? Instead of, help me understand why you believe what you do. We're known, as, as Joe mentioned um, earlier, this, and, and this was written in here already, Joe, we are mo- known, we Christians are known more frequently for what we're against than for what we're for. And I love that New Hope Community Church is for Catonsville, is for Baltimore, is for the world. And what a great way to be known as a congregation. Not what we're against, but what we're for. These days, when I'm asked if I'm a Christian, I I don't respond right away to that request. I ask, well, what do you mean when you say Christian? Because I don't want to say yes, because they might think I'm a person that I'm not. So I prefer to call myself even a follower of Jesus who aspires to live and love the way Jesus lived and loved. Another thing to note here about the followers of the way in Antioch, they didn't demand any privileges from being a Jesus follower. They didn't claim any special rights from the government because they were. They didn't call themselves Christian and draw attention to themselves with their actions or their words. All they did was live and love in a way that reminded people about Jesus. And the early church mothers and fathers picked up this theme And um, one of my favorites is Teresa of Avila. Some of you may know her, and many of you might recognize this quote from her that I'm about to share. 
She writes, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes with which Christ looks out His compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which He is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which He is to bless people now. Quite a commission, right? She personalized it a little bit later in one of her writings, so she wrote it this way. Christ has no body but mine. He prays in me, works in me, looks through my eyes, speaks through my words, works through my hands, walks with my feet, and loves with my heart. So I want to ask us today, what about you? What about me? What about us? What about new hope? Most of us here today, I would venture to guess, are Gentiles. We're followers of Jesus as a result of the vision of inclusion which was given to Peter in Antioch, in, uh, in Joppa, excuse me, confirmed by the church in Jerusalem and proclaimed through the missionary efforts that emanated from Antioch. We're here today because of what happened in Acts chapter 11. We are now God's chosen people too. We are to be those who are blessed to be a blessing. We are to be the people of God for the world. We are to be the community of Jubilee. I aspire, fall short every day, but I aspire to be known as someone who lives and loves like Jesus. As a way of life, not just an occasional guilt-induced, awkward, overbearing project to do. As Dallas Willard, one of my favorite philosophers and theologists, theologians, um, says, I want to become the kind of person who allows Jesus to live through me. Not when I want to, when I intend to, when I'm guilted into it. I want to become the kind of person who lives and loves the way Jesus does. I want Him to live through me, to look through my eyes, speak through my words, go where my feet go, love with my heart, not claim that my words are God's words or my actions Jesus' actions, but have the recipients of my words and actions say that. Not because I've led with that foot, but because that's what they have experienced through me as a conduit of Jesus' life and love. I want the recipients of my words and actions to feel His presence through them, whether I ever know it or not. And then, be prepared in season and out to give an account of the hope that's in me when asked, when invited to do so, 
as we did with Peggy Larney. I, I don't think she would have ever told us that she was there because she was a Christian. She might have. I don't know. We could ask her. I could ask her. But she wasn't leading with that. She was just doing what the Holy Spirit told her to do. You and I, we, all followers of Jesus, have been commissioned into a grand movement, and we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to participate in it. And I'd like to encourage us all, as I close this morning, I'd like to encourage us all that this is the day to stop merely praying for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the day to begin to live that out. This is the day that we've been invited to participate in by becoming the kind of people who live like Jesus lived and love like Jesus loved. The kind of people whose hands and feet and eyes and heart and words look and sound like Jesus. The kind of people whose lived out faith is louder than our profession of it. The kind of people whose lived out faith might cause others to say, She's just like Jesus. He loves like Jesus loves. Let's strive together from this day forward to become the kind of people whose lived out faith might cause others who live in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our community around us to refer to us as little Christs. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful and humbled and inspired by the call that You have on our lives. The commission that You have given each one of us to be little Christs wherever we go. To love like Jesus loved. To live like Jesus lived. And become the kind of people who do that. For your honor, for your glory, for the furthering of your kingdom here on earth. I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.